Welcome to Swansea Cyber Law and Security Podcast. I'm Sarah Kukaya, doctoral researcher at Swansea University. And I'm Patrick Bishop, a senior lecturer in law also at Swansea. And today we are discussing the news of the past month or so, and we are also joined by a special guest. Gary, do you want to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Gary, uh, Gary Burkhart. Uh, I'm a doctoral researcher at Swansea University, uh, looking at uh, online informed consent, uh, specifically in, in the context of uh, personal processing and big data. Excellent. So we'll remind everyone, very important for today's episode actually, that the views expressed on this podcast do not represent those of our employers and or our sponsors. They are our own. Um, yeah, so... Welcome. We've had 708 plays as of this morning. Wow. Yeah, it's not bad for the seventh episode. That averages out at about 100 um, plays. I wonder if it's the same 100. <laughs> Have we got a loyal following? So our first story for today is, of course, Cambridge Analytica. This has been... Uh, Raging in the news since about, although no, it was in March that it really yeah. picked up, wasn't it? So, um, in a nutshell, what's happened? So, in 2014, Facebook, not Facebook, in 2014, there's this academic who um, was at, in, uh, at Cambridge <coughs> University, Dr. Alexander Kogan. He is a psychologist and he um, developed this app called This Is Your Digital Life. And this app uh, it was basically a quiz that, that functioned on Facebook and invited users to find out their personality type. Uh, so about 270,000 users um, used the, the, did the quiz and the app collected some of their information but also some of their friends' public information. Um, so uh, Dr. Kogan then uh, allegedly... Uh, <laughs> Uh, through, not as a researcher at Cam Cambridge University, but through his own, he had his own consultancy company. Uh, so allegedly he has, uh, he sold the data or he passed on the data. There are conflicting uh, uh, reports on mm. this. I'm not entirely sure. I mean, I imagine that you wouldn't give data away unless it was a sale, but uh, I'm not clear on exactly uh, what's happened there. But so allegedly he passes on this data that he collected for the purposes of his study to Cambridge Analytica. Um, and according to Facebook, that was done without permission. Uh, so this information then was, uh, uh, again, allegedly used to develop this target communication strategies for political campaigns uh, by Cambridge Analytica. That's that's their role. They're, they're a political campaigning sort of uh, uh, well they 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 provide data analysis to political exactly i don't think they actually do the campaigning themselves um, apparently at least from the channel four uh, undercover mm. report it seems like they not only they uh, they, they also develop the message mm. so so they they analyze the data to identify the segments of the population that have particular interests mm. and then they devise the message to match those interests mm. in order to uh, um, uh, 
So techie PR company, yeah, in a sense. basically, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so this this is basically what happened, right? This is this is it in a nutshell. The story was like, if, if we want to look at it in a bit more detail, it's actually been in the public domain for quite a while. So it was first written about by Carol Cadwaller. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing her name right. She's a she's a Guardian journalist, and she picked this up back in February 2017, but. The story didn't get much traction until this whistleblower uh, came forward. What's his name again? I can't remember. Can't... I know he had weirdly coloured hair, yeah. if that's any help. <laughs> Mr. Nix. No, no, no. That's the CEO oh, okay. of um, Cambridge Analytica. But, but we can start there. So, because in February mm. this year, Alexander Nix was invited to give some not I wouldn't call it testimony but to, to, to speak to the House of Commons DCMS committee and he he said that Cambridge Analytica did not work with Facebook data um, and did not receive data from Dr. Coven's consultancy company called Global Science Research. Uh, so, so then Christopher Wiley, that's his name, he came forward um, he had been in touch with this, this Guardian journalist for, for a long time. They knew each other for a while since she'd been following the story. But he finally agreed to kind of come forward and say, say what he knew. Um, and then Channel 4, the New, York, uh, the New York Times, I believe, and a number of other, uh, yeah, the New York Times, the Observer, they all picked up the story. And this is when it kind of <laughs> exploded mm. across our screens um, earlier this month. So since then, things have moved fairly fast, we might say. We might say not fast enough, I don't know. Uh, but uh, So uh, on March 16, then Facebook suspended Strategic Communications Lab, so the, the Coven company, they suspended uh, uh, Cambridge Analytica as well, and they said that they had failed to delete the data when Facebook... So uh, apparently Facebook had known about this harvesting of this data since 2015. <clears throat> and when they realised this, they told Cambridge Analytica and all of the other companies that had harvested data in this way to delete it. So what they said now is that they, re they now know that they haven't. They, di they didn't delete the data when they said they would. So was any notification made to users at this point in time? As far as I know... 2015? As far as I know, no, no there was no notification. So and and the, the request or the command to delete the data was based on a violation of the Facebook terms, terms for using a, a, an app on their, on their platform. Yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't any broader legal concern, it was more that it was a violation of their terms of use. Yeah. So, yeah. so was, was it to do with the sale of data or something like that? I think so. I think the issue was the passing on of the yeah. data, mm -hmm. um, I believe. Because... because at this time, if I understand correctly, Facebook actually allowed apps to harvest data mm. in this way, which they have since changed, changed yeah. and it's no longer possible. So the issue was the passing on to a third party mm. of this data. And I think that's the main issue with yeah. the consent problem, yeah. because the people who completed the survey consented to the use of their data for research purposes, but then it also harvested data of their friends... And, and there's also another issue where they consented for research purposes, not for this to be passed on to a mm -hmm. third party 
political analysis, data analysis, PR company. Yeah, yeah. So, of course, Cambridge Analytica denies uh, Facebook's allegations. So this is all contested territory. Um, They say that GSR um, uh, provided the data under a contract and, you know, they had... They were under the impression that that was okay. Um, um, so then the story gets really muddled when Channel 4 broadcasts this undercover report. And the, the reason I say it gets muddled is, is because this undercover report, if you watch it, it's not just about the use of data. There's, you know, it's, 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 not, a, it's not a comfortable watch because mm. they, they talk about um, some of their... Uh, strategies and they're they're kind of filmed saying that they use things like bribes and ex spies mm. and fake IDs and fake news and 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 because uh, I, I think it's at this point yeah for legal reasons other than anything else it's important to note that the response there was that this was bravado sales pitch yeah uh, and not that this necessarily goes on I think it's important to yeah to make that point that at this stage yeah yeah so. Anyway, uh, that 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 document, that undercover report, has uh, obviously made a lot of headlines, and that's. But but it does it does distract a bit from the issue of, of the consent. Yeah. That's what I mean. Is that there's all of this stuff. This, this alleged. Yeah. It's behavior. part of the broader picture. I yeah. Think, when you're you're looking to the the corporate ethos of this company and and their ethical lines that they may or may not cross so it's relevant in that sense but I don't think it's squarely relevant to the question of consent in relation to the the harvesting of Facebook data yeah yeah so then the CEO of Cambridge Analytica got sacked Uh, Mark Zuckerberg was invited to give evidence to DCMS uh, which he he um, he he refused to do in person what else uh, Dr. Kogan says he's being scapegoated by these two companies. Eventually, uh, towards the, the end of March, then Mark Zuckerberg did write a post on, on Facebook in which he acknowledges that mistakes were made. And, 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 and then finally, the Information Commission office, officer uh, got a warrant that was executed on the 23rd of March to inspect the premises of Cambridge Analytica. Uh, although although it's uh, the, the warrant took about three days to to to, to come into mm. effect, and there was some some issues there because I think Facebook went into Cambridge Analytica to to uh, to inspect themselves prior to the ICO mm. going in, mm. and there was a big kerfuffle about that. I think that that's, that that was suspended pending the investigation right, by yeah. the uh, the ICO. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's basically where we're at. Um, since then, Facebook has also suspended another company called Aggregate IQ, um, which is a Canadian data firm, which was, uh, again, the reason why this is controversial is because they, were, uh, they played a big role in the Vote Leave campaign for the UK's exit from the European Union. And, and both that company and Cambridge Analytica mm-hmm. Uh, are also linked in with with Robert Mercer, who was a big Trump supporter. Um, so it's it. There's <coughs> all of this stuff. <laughs> I think conf- brings a lot of uh, emotions to the table. Right? Well, but I think we should just focus on the 
the date hmm. of the consent issue for now because there's there's a lot of issues here and we could talk about it for ages. I think one and, and one probably regulation. I think we probably need to look yeah. at that too. Hmm. It's one one thing that I would note though before we go on to the actual issue of consent. I think why this story has been so gained so much traction, has been talked about so much, is I think we most Facebook users are familiar with the idea that Facebook will use your data for marketing purposes. You know, you like something, you get an email from that company the next day advertising their goods. But I think this sort of breaks new ground in the sense that I don't think people were generally aware that this data could be used in this way, in a way that might, I has emphasised the word might, affect elections. Mm. Whether it be the, uh, the referendum on Brexit, the, the Trump election in the US. So that's why it seems, I think, to be breaking new yeah. ground. We're all broadly familiar with what Facebook does in terms of yeah. marketing our data for commercial purposes. Yeah. But it seems slightly more sinister, I think, when we're talking about using that data to try and influence the outcome uh, uh, of, of a democratic exactly, vote. which yeah. is, I mean, that's marketing, right? I mean, that's political yeah. campaigning. That's yeah. what that's what it is. So, I mean, to an extent, I do feel like we should have we should okay consider this with caution because yeah. ultimately people vote for themselves, and ultimately the issue then is whether or not they know what they're voting for and they know how to distinguish between the information that is that is credible and information that is not credible. And that is not Facebook's role. <laughs> like, uh, educating the, the general public about to have the, the, the digital skills that are necessary in order to, to distinguish between where your information to, to learn to, to, to be critical mm. about where they get that information that is not the role of social media companies. Mm. You know, often things aren't black and white, and it's uh, um, is, it, is, it, is it possible easily to you know discern what's good information and what's, and what's bad information? <laughs> That's a rabbit hole we're not coming mm. back from mm. anytime soon, <laughs> yeah. But but this but this is the this is the yeah. problem. Yeah. Um, when, yeah. when you look at uh, information um, that people provide, um, then uh, is, is, is it reliable? And, and, and who makes the call as to you know, whether it's, it's, it's reliable or not, or whether yeah. it's good information or bad information? I think ultimately the only way to do that is for people to, you know, to be educated enough to be able to think for themselves and ultimately you have to make that decision for yourself mm. and that's what the decision you're making when you're voting but here so, part of this process is <laughs> the, um, the information is obtained online yeah in, in order to mm. uh, to get you mm. to the point where you may understand some things and, and if that information is uh, erroneous uh, then you might form uh, a view that mm. uh, a certain type of view, yeah, and, yeah. And, and if you'd been supplied with different information, then you'd form a different view. That's a nice ideal, isn't it? Well, this, people, this educated yeah. electorate that can, yeah. you know, evaluate the pros and cons. Uh, I think it always brings to mind Churchill's famous quote: "The, the best argument against democracy is a five-minute conversation with the average voter." Yeah. <laughs> um, which I don't necessarily subscribe to that view, of course, but. It does, you know, the average vote or whatever that is tends not to weigh up the issues in that very analytical fashion that we would hope. Mm. But um, I think politics 
politicians themselves, they kind of encourage this. Oh, because, I because part of the, I mean, the reality is that if it wasn't Trump and if it wasn't Brexit, a lot mm. of people who care about the issue of manipulation on social media wouldn't care about it. I mean, part of the reason we care about it is, or, or a lot of people care about it, is because these electoral results are perceived to be um, uh, unwanted. They're, they're perceived yeah. to be, they're not, the, you know, the, the kind of liberal middle well, that, ground that's, anymore. Well, that's the key, isn't right? it? I mean, the, the people that tend to talk about these issues and yeah. are concerned by these issues, and, and we're generalising hugely, but they tend to be from a sort of liberal... Yeah. Elite, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. and as I think you're absolutely right. If we had voted to remain in the EU, and if Hillary Clinton had been yeah. come president, be this, this wouldn't be an issue. And if the the other side, the losing side, raised it, then the liberal elite would say, "Well, that's yeah. sour grapes." Because I, because I'm I'm sure that targeted advertising is something everybody does. Yeah, and of course, what we don't know, <laughs> and we can never know, yeah. is what effect exactly. these campaigns exactly. did have. How effective really Yeah. You know, I, I look at the kind of targeted advertising that I get on Facebook and I think, Christ, the the algorithm must be broken. Yeah. <laughs> because they never try and sell me stuff that I want. Yeah. <laughs> so there we are. Anyway, we digress. Um so on the consent issue though, I mean that this <clears throat> is um what what are your thoughts, Gary? Because uh, of course you're you're looking at this stuff quite closely. So what what does this bring to mind, you know, this episode? Well, we've got different different models of, of, of consent. Um, there's probably three, three main models. There's the uh, autonomous authorization model, basically uh, stating that consent consists of uh, autonomy and authorization. And uh, autonomy consisting of, uh, sort of understanding, intentionality, non-control. So you know, making uh, you know, a voluntary a voluntary decision. And bulk of our legislation, by some, well, for example, referring to the, the data protection directive and um, the general data protection regulation, by some that that's, that's regarded as as following this autonomous authorization mm-hmm. model of, of, of consent. I'll talk a bit more about those those later, uh, but I did mention three models. The the, the other ones being you know, disclosure, mm-hmm. um, which is uh, your, your typical model used within the sort of medical in, mm-hmm. environment, where um, you, your doctor speaks to, to a patient or a physician speaks to a patient, for example, and uh, there, there's there's an exchange of, of information, and the person comes to, to an understanding of, uh, of what they are going to consent to or maybe refuse their, uh, mm-hmm. their consent of. And then the third um, sort of more recent addition is, the, is this fair transaction model. And that's basically a model in which uh, the consent is considered to be valid if it's required for uh, a, morally, a morally valid purpose and it's reasonably believed to be to have been given by a party who's been treated fairly. Um, so those are you know, the three basic models of of, mm-hmm. of of consent. Of course, we've got the uh, the GDPR um, coming into into effect mm-hmm. um, in within the within the EU in well next month. 
Less than 30 days. Less than 30 days, days yeah. indeed. Do you have a little calendar? I've, I've been counting down, yeah, yeah. GDPR advent calendar. And by some, I mean, the, 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 that, that is um, the legislation that's been put in place uh, uh, in order to uh, protect people in terms of their, their, their data um, and uh, the talks about informed, informed consent. It's seen, it's seen by some as uh, essentially sort of following in the footsteps of its maybe its lesser brother, the, the Data Protection Directive, and it's seen by some as basically being a the Data Protection Directive on, on steroids. You're following the same sort of philosophy uh, yeah. of the, the individual. You're, so um, the, what do you call that? The autonomous autonomous authorization model. Does the GDPR not? Represent maybe a subtle but nevertheless a noticeable shift from the autonomous, remind me, autonomous authorization, autonomous authorization model. model to a more the second one, which is the second model you mentioned. Or the disclosure disclosure model. model because it talks about more informed consent in comparison to under the old regime, which is referred to consent. Uh, now it's more informed consent. Is that is that a subtle shift? Well, in, in, away from the first model towards well, the second. Well, in, informed consent um, was it is a concept that's that's also you mentioned within the within the data protection directive. Mm. So you think that was already there, the informed consent. Informed consent was was already there. But I think but, it's but, been but, made but, more but explicit there, there, in the there, GDPR, there. isn't it? Yes. Yeah. 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 I mean, the the, the, exact, the exact definition of of what informed consent mm. is, is is slightly different between the between the two. Mm. Um, I believe there are greater penalties. Yeah. That organisations yeah. can, can suffer under the GDPR compared to the uh, Data Protection Directive, but essentially, you know, the, the, the the individual is, if you like, a master of their own digital destiny, and it's, it's part of of what's um, referred to as you know, the privacy self management paradigm. Mm. So, so in terms of this case, then, I guess from what we know, and of course, we don't have all the information, and we only know what's mm-hmm. been alleged and counter-alleged mm. in the media, but it seems to me that from the little we know, there is a possibility that this transfer of data, well, I know that the GDPR is coming into, it mm. wasn't, you know, didn't didn't exist when, when this happened. So the, the, the data was taken from Facebook in 2014, so mm. that, that was a while ago. Yes, yeah, so we should say if there is any liability any prosecutions against Facebook, Cambridge Analytica, whoever, it would be under the, the well, I say old regime, the current regime. Yeah. Because obviously we don't have retrospective criminality. So, yeah. Um, yeah. You, you know, you can speculate as to what might be the position if this happened in a GDPR world. Yeah. But I think in, in, in this particular case, any liability yeah. will be decided under the existing regime, not under the, the yeah. GDPR. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I guess... The issue then becomes: Was there informed consent when 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 people agreed to to take this quiz and share yeah. their data? But also then, because the data was passed on to somebody else, then I guess there would be an issue there. Was there any consent? Of, yeah, was there any consent yeah. there? Because the purpose. I think with the question of whether any consent is when the the data of friends who did the survey was accessed. Yeah. Because those friends, they would difficult to argue there's any consent at all yeah. with the people who actually use the use the app or completely the survey you could say well there's consent to some shape or form the question is 
what did they consent to? Yeah. And did they exceed the, any consent that was given? But there's a slightly different issue in relation to friends because they probably didn't give any consent at all. Mm. I mean, yeah. the uh, the terms of Facebook has has terms of terms of service, mm. and you know, when you when you um, you create a Facebook account, then you know you sign up to mm. those those terms of service, uh, which are you know, pretty much you know, non non negotiable. And ridiculously long and, and complicated. Very, and very long. Yeah. It's extremely lengthy. And you know, within the within the document, as far as I'm aware, you've got you links uh, to extra information. Mm. So it would take a very very long time to to read to read everything. And I think Mark Zuckerberg himself said that uh, he, he didn't think that the average person likely reads that whole that whole document. I think that was part of his. Um, well, I, I think he might be understating it a little there. I can't imagine, I would imagine there's a tiny proportion of people that actually read, not just with Facebook, but terms and conditions generally. And, 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 yeah. and if, if people did read the terms and conditions, it, 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 would, it would have quite a large economic impact too. I mean, the, the, there was research done a few years ago um, that, um, as far as I can remember, came to the, the conclusion that... Uh, I think it's 2014, 2015, something like that, that if people did read these terms and conditions, I'm not talking about Facebook, I'm talking about terms and conditions Generally, in, in, yeah. in general, um, then it would cost the US something like $780 billion. billion. And of course, the, the, there's two issues here. conditions are not doing other things, productive <laughs> things. Whether they read it is one issue. Second issue is if they do read it, do they understand it? And do they understand the significance of those terms and That's conditions? Right. You know, we work in a law school. <laughs> And, uh, you know, from anecdotal conversations I've had with colleagues, you you know, did you read the terms and conditions? Of course I didn't. You know, I mm. wanted X product. I mm. wanted a joint X platform. I just clicked accept the terms and conditions. Life's too short mm. to read the terms and conditions. Yeah. And there have been studies looking at the required reading ability of, of a person, the ability to actually read and, and, and understand some of these uh, um, sort of online uh, privacy notices, and the, the the reading level required is often very much higher than that of the the, av- the average, let's say, US US mm. citizen. Uh, again, not not referring to Facebook in particular, but just just you know, generally, mm-hmm. um, these these privacy notices are are extremely difficult for the average person to to understand. So what do you think the impact of GDPR might be um, on, a, on a company like Facebook that has a vast amount of personal data? Is it going to change anything in, for in, in, in terms of, as I said previously, um, it, it's seen by some as you know, the DPD on, on, on steroids. So effectively, some people perceive it as you know, giving people so more spanners to do stuff with when they really didn't know what to do with the spanners that they were given mm. under the data protection directive. So you being part of, you know, if, if it's part of this this self management paradigm, there there's a there's a bod, there's a there's a growing body of thought that thinks that um, organisations should take more responsibility. And maybe even become use it a a, uh, a term that that's been uh, that's been coined 
uh, an information fiduciary. Uh, so where companies that hold large amounts of personal data would need to be, be loyal to those those data subjects and also have a duty of care to those those, those data subjects. And that, that, would, that would move us probably to a very different realm, social media realm, mm-hmm. uh, than what we have at the, yeah. at, at, at the moment. But say, just to play devil's advocate a little bit here, um, I wonder sometimes whether the interest of the individual subject is always, I'm, I'm, I don't know if uh, in the case of Facebook this is applicable, but uh, um, say <laughs> we were talking about this, we had our PGR colloquium yesterday and, and somebody was talking about um, uh, medical data. And, uh, biobanks. Yeah, biobanks specifically. Um, uh, but the idea that you know the individual sh- should have a, a right over what happens to, to their data when in some circumstances, perhaps there is a wider interest to be served in in the data mm. being used, perhaps an, an anonymized mm. in, in, in an anonymous uh, way. But you you no longer c- you, you you know perhaps this isn't so applicable here. But I do wonder sometimes if the are there circumstances where the individual's right to not have their data used might be trumped by a public interest argument of, say, I, I can't think of an example now. Well, that, 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 that's, that's in the existing regime and in the new regime. Okay. There are lots of exceptions yeah. where you data can be used and some of the rights under the regime, maybe the right to access or that you don't have to comply with one of the um, uh, principles of fair processing do not apply mm-hmm. because there's a bigger issue which in a sense trumps the person's privacy rights or you know for the prevention of disorder or crime well, for example right, would be course, a, yeah. another one you know you go to a doctor you're diagnosed with meningitis you might want to keep that private but that's a what's called a notifiable de- uh, um, um, illness or disease which means that doctor has an obligation to go to the local health board and say look this person is suffering from so that's inbuilt within the system, right. yeah. but in certain cases. And if you think of privacy, in most, if not all of its manifestations, certainly under the European Convention on Human Rights, is a qualified right. It's a limited right, mm-hmm. which can be interfered yeah. with in yeah. certain legitimate yeah. Yeah. circumstances. The, 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 the converse to that is, um, biobanking is, I think, is, is, is a really interesting example. Uh, because it's poss- if an individual gives their consent for their you know, genetic material to, to be analysed, there are things that you can discern from that um, which will affect their relatives uh, because they have you know, essentially the same genetic mm-hmm. matter. Yeah. Um, so when you're, you're consenting to your, your use of, of genetic material, then uh, you're also kind of... Uh, consenting on behalf of uh, close close relatives mm. who have very similar genetic material to uh, to to yourself. Mm, interesting. Yeah, I was also thinking about countries where their approach to citizens' data is very different. Uh, so I'm thinking, particularly in Scandinavia, they they do have these systems where you know there is a a centralised 
system where you know like you every individual has an identifiable kind of code mm. you know and all of the data their social security their education records their medical records their um you know their credit score whatever it is mm. all of this data is linked um and it is used for research purposes you could you could almost used in the public interest yeah uh, allegedly that's the idea you could almost think of it as a I think this is a phrase someone mentioned yesterday in the cloakroom, a, a, a digital cyber social contract. You know, you give up some of your rights yeah. in order to reap the benefits. You know, in terms, as I say, I'm not, well, I'm not, I'm not sure. I, I don't think that applies you <laughs> in relation to the Cambridge Analytica and Facebook no, thing, because no. I'm not sure what the the wider public interest is you. But I mean, as a broader issue, when, you, when you're talking about issues of consent uh you know it's almost a utilitarian analysis to be had here and can, can, consent can go too far you mentioned if everyone read the terms and conditions that would be a considerable economic cost there's a balance to be had because obviously the the what struck me when you mentioned those three models was each one is almost an ascending order in terms of transaction costs or administrative burden associated with each one and if you apply, say, for example, a fully disclosure measure where a doctor sits down with a patient and talks to them about the, the risks of a particular procedure, if you apply that to every online transaction, the system will grind to a halt overnight. So there needs to be some balance, mm-hmm. I think, between the, the, the two. The other thing as well which struck me about this entire issue is data protection and... Uh, it, Directive and Data Protection Act in the UK or the GDPR is fundamentally concerned with privacy. It's a privacy protection mechanism. And I just wonder to what extent there's been serious damage to the privacy interests here in in this case. And to some extent I'm playing devil's advocate here, but it's of no interest to... Facebook or marketing companies who are trying to sell you something or political campaigning organisations, you know, your personal pictures, your, you know, the personal messages you send to someone else on Facebook. They're interested in your preferences in terms of consumer preferences, political preferences. And to some extent, you give away an element of your privacy by liking a page, by retweeting something, etc. So I'm not entirely convinced that this raises a real really obvious privacy interest you know, engages a real obvious privacy interest because the things that are most intimate to us when we use social media are of no interest or concern to these companies they want to know what we want to buy they want to know who we want to vote for what our political views are and to some extent they can only discover that by things that we have made publicly available via social media Okay, maybe within a certain small circle of friends on social media, but to some extent, people have given away their privacy by engaging in discourse or discussion or whatever on on social media. So I think that's the sort of well, not the anti, you know, privacy view, but a pragmatic approach to privacy protection. Mm-hmm. There are perceptions that are out there and. Um, you, you do do people you perceive when they like something um, as, as as that actually giving 
some information about mm. about about themselves. Mm. Yeah, no, that, that. But my point would be well, not my point. Well, sort of my point. I'm I'm, I'm undecided on this issue, but you know, you you by hitting the like button, you've decided to give that information away, albeit within a limited circle of friends or more broadly. It's your decision to do that. And I was ultimately the bottom line is if you're concerned about your privacy, you 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 don't engage in social media. Is it is is, is it is it? Uh, I think you how you, how you phrase it, how you how you term it as um, you people making making a decision. Do do people regard it as 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 actually a decision? You, to like something is an emotion. You like something is an emotion. Is is is, is it? A, yeah, but whether you, to express that emotion is a is a an act. It is. It, it is that you can decide not to do or do. It is. It is. But but do people actually regard it as an act, or are they just expressing an emotion mm. on the? Because um, I mean, the, the the key is 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 knowing. Everything I've said presupposes that you have a broad understanding of what social media platforms do with your data. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so if you have that broad understanding yeah. and you choose to go ahead, then fine. If you don't, some sort of arguing against my own position here, it comes back to the position then that you need informed yeah, consent. Which is, which is in a way links up with what I was saying earlier about uh, you know digital skills, digital literacy. Yeah. It's all about whether or not when people engage with the world of uh, digital stuff. Mm-hmm. They know, yeah. they understand the structures that pro- that, that, that prop this up, mm. right? And and I think we really are lacking that. I see yeah. that in my, my younger siblings, you know. They have very little understanding of even the way Google, you know, like any kind of search engine works and the fact that the information is uh, curated, mm. And the understanding that information is curated is, is essential to, to anyone engaging with the internet. And I think <laughs> if, if this story does nothing else, if it leads nowhere in terms of prosecutions under the Data Protection Act, then the one positive thing that's happened to you is it's raised awareness of exactly what is happening with our data. And so to some extent, people will be making more informed decisions because unless you've been living on Mars for the last month, you should now realise or have a better understanding of what is done with your data and so you can decide whether to engage with a social media platform on that basis. Mm. So that might be the, the biggest outcome of this case, presuming the public consciousness extends beyond more than four or five news cycles. I'm not sure it yeah. does. But yeah. And uh, people, they may be aware... Or not that there's this thing going on with uh, with Facebook and, and, and Cambridge Analytica, but you, to what extent have they actually understood and, and, and absorbed everything that's been that's been discussed? Mm. Yeah, we've been talking about this for a while. Yes. I wonder whether we should leave it at this because I think if we start talking about the next story, we might be here for a while as well. Okay. <laughs> We could do another one next week. Yeah. Okay. To deal with the other issues. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So next week, you can look forward to a discussion about the idea of ethical hacking 
and also a little bit of a, an update of what's happening to the cybercrime and fraud reporting and response mechanisms in the UK. There's been a few developments there. So, great. Excellent. Thank you. Gary, thank you very much. Yes, thank you, Gary. So, uh, uh, just a a little hint. So, we've had two special guests so far. Gary and Luke in the previous one. And at some point in the future, we, we have a third. We do. Um, so, you know, we're, we're trying to keep it fresh. Yes, and perhaps a fourth. So, you know, if you're listening oh, and you want us to in, Keeping <laughs> us in suspense now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, I was going to say... We have, it should be said, we have contacted Mark Zuckerberg, but he, he was washing his hair. <laughs> something along those lines. <laughs> Maybe next time. Okay, see you next week. Bye. 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 Well, she'll be able to hear us through that. Yeah, no, but I, it's, coming, it's coming through here as well. Yeah, that's what I just said. You'll be able to hear us through that. <laughs> yes. For the purpose of the tape, I'm pointing at the microphone <laughs> on the recorder. <laughs> okay. So this is the bit when we do a few seconds of silence so I can um, edit out uh, uh, Patrick moving on his chair and like... Oh yeah, I do that too much. Heavy breathing... I'm not aware I'll do that. But <laughs> <laughs> okay. Ah, uh, vu. Is that uh, my next caller? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>